0: This is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Jeremy Anderson. He is the President of the Education Commission of the States. Jeremy, thank you for being here today. Absolutely, excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Alex. And first of all, for our listeners who may not know what the Education Commission of the States are, can you give them a little rundown of what you all do?
1: absolutely Uh, the education commission of the states is a national organization that serves elected and appointed officials in all 50 states on education policy We actually started 50 years ago and we're in statute in almost every single state. And I have seven commissioners that we serve in particular in each state, usually the governor, the superintendent of education, the chair of the House and Senate education committees, usually the chancellor of higher ed and an early learning expert also. And so we cover everything across the P20 spectrum, helping states understand what other states are doing, what's working, and even in some cases, policies that aren't working so that states don't make the same mistake.
0: And uh, you're going to be speaking tonight as part of a Belk Foundation event. Um, This is going to be airing the day after that event. So can you tell people a little bit about what you talked
1: about last night? Absolutely. Well, I'm honored to be here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to talk about some of the education policies here in North Carolina. And there's some great things. There's some policies that are really moving the needle. And we see as kind of um, game changers compared with some other states. But that doesn't mean it's all perfect i think for a lot of the states it's looking at what is the goal we're trying to achieve what are we trying to achieve with early learning what are our goals for fourth grade and eighth grade outcomes high school graduations and even career pathways or college orientation for different students and we see a lot of really good things here in north carolina north carolina is one of um one of the six states that has nine or ten of the k-3 quality Um, achievements for NEAR, which is very impressive for them to be able to achieve. Um, Only, again, a select number of states have been able to do that. And you're also one of only 13 states that require full-day kindergarten. A lot of states talk about having all-day kindergarten, but it's really just they allow districts to have all-day if they desire. In North Carolina, it's required for students to attend, and that's a great game-changer in making some difference for some of those students. There's also a lot of things that you do here in North Carolina that are really focused on on getting better outcomes so that students can all start school at a foundational and same level. But it's not easily achievable. And I think one of the things that I talk about a lot is that in North Carolina, you have a lower than the national average number of four-year-olds who are actually enrolled in some kind of early learning program. Across the country, it's over a third of four-year-olds are in some educational program. And here in North Carolina, it's only 22%. And I know the legislature has passed a bill based on class sizes and reducing a a waiting list for some of those four-year-olds, um, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done in educating parents about the value of that early learning.
0: And um, that you kind of touched there on some of the weaknesses we have here. I, I'm sure that you've heard about some of the new programs that we've been putting into place over the years, over the past few years, and some of them are contentious. They have supporters on, on one side and uh, opponents on the other. Um, What are you hearing about some of the things that our legislature is instituting in education here?
1: Well, I think you've had some big changes over the last couple of years, and some of those are really looking on what are the outcomes that you want in kind of K-12 education, the traditional education, and some of those are looking at investments. I mean, what is the right amount of money for the state of North Carolina to invest in K-3 education? The biggest part of that investment is usually your workforce or teachers and teacher salaries, I know there's been some big increases in teacher salaries with some investments that have been done the last couple of years. I've heard from a lot of people, and the research shows that you've moved from like 40th on teacher pay to probably 35th on teacher pay. And what I would just say, and and we talk about this across the country, is where you rank among the states on teacher pay is probably not the goal for most states. The goal should probably be what is the outcome that we want to be able to make sure that our children achieve? What is the outcome for fourth graders, for eighth graders, for high school graduates that we want? And then what does it cost for us to get that kind of achievement? And I think that's a big issue for a lot of states to be looking at. One of the things I talk about is your accountability system that you have here in North Carolina. You've got an A through F report card for every school, and you've had some strong and a long history with that, which is very good. There's 13 other states that have an A through F report card. Um, but when I look at the A F report card, I notice that a lot of that grading is based on proficiency. So did the child in that school meet the grade level? Proficiency is the majority of the goal. There's very little of that grade that's on growth because you have some schools where proficiency levels may be well below the norm. But are they growing? Are they getting closer to proficiency? And it's important to do that. I think the A through F report card may be more a barometer of where poverty is in North Carolina than which schools are doing the best. Um, And it's something that I think North Carolina could look at. I noticed that uh, 10% of your A rated schools have 50% of their students or more who are in poverty. But 98% of your F rated schools have students, at least 50% of them, in poverty. And so looking at what you're really judging with that A through F report card is an important aspect.
0: And so that's been a big debate here in North Carolina is do we need to tweak that ratio so that growth right. plays a more important role? Um, and, and you've seen other states where they have similar grades. What, what do you see about uh, on how states construct these
1: grades? Is there uh, a common measure? States um, are all over the place on some of their accountability measures. Again, I said about 13 of them have an A through F report card of some kind. There's about 10 that have some numerical rating, like a scale of 1 to 100 or 1 to 10 or something like that. What we know from a majority of the states, though, is that many of them do have proficiency of grade level being about 50% of that grade, some a little bit more. But not many of them have it at 80% of the grade. There's a lot of other states that put some other things in there, like what is the growth that's happening in those schools, or are the students trending towards a higher level than they were the year before, which I think is important because what you want is an accountability model that actually gives each school a chance to progress and move from an F to a D to a C to a B and hopefully to an A.
0: And another thing that we've seen growing here in the past five, six years or so is kind of the school choice environment. Uh, We've seen a dramatic increase in charter schools after the lifting of our cap. Um, We've seen an increase in programs like opportunity scholarships. Uh, Recently, we had the introduction of the uh, education savings accounts. What are you seeing um, with that around the country?
1: And does that seem to be having positive effects, negative effects,
0: no effects?
1: So every state in the nation, as of last year, has some kind of school choice program. Kentucky was the last of those, which just this last legislative session introduced some new policies around school choice. Minnesota was actually the first of those, which was almost 20 years ago. The amount of choice that the policies actually allow is very, very diverse. Some states, there's a lot of choice that's available, and it's opening up markets for some charter schools or for some private schools. In a lot of states, though, there's some pretty strict limitations on how much choice there really is. I mean, there's some states that they do have school choice policies, But that school choice is only allowed for students who have individualized education plans and only those with special needs, not those who are at the higher end of the educational attainment level. And so we see a lot of diversity across the states. Every state has taken some action on this, but in every single state, public K-12 education is still the largest majority of their education and the largest investment that states are making.
0: And so when you come to a state like North Carolina, and you've talked about this a little bit, but you look at what we're doing with education here, uh, what do you see as kind of where we should be
1: going or, or um, where we are going? Well, you've got a great history of education here in North Carolina, from the Brookings Plan to even the Leandro case to, I could list off probably 10 councils or commissions that are currently in place here with the legislature and the governor and the superintendent and the chancellor. And the one thing that I would say is if there's not an open line of communication with all of those policymakers to really define what it is they want to achieve with each of those councils and each of those commissions, we see states having a really hard time in moving forward. North Carolina has some really good policies that are in place. You've got some good policies on early learning. You've got some really good policies on some of the loan forgiveness and some of the bonuses that are provided to getting teachers into hard to teach specific um, areas like high school math or high school science or special ed. And you've got some areas that are really focused on hard to employ um, positions in some high schools and some middle schools. So I would argue, don't try to recreate the wheel just because you have a commission, but instead try to define what are the outcomes you really want to achieve. North Carolina is one state that we highlight a lot around some dual enrollment policies, trying to give high school students that opportunity to take some college or some career tech ed program before they get out of high school, because we know students who do that are much more likely to succeed in getting a degree or a credential after high school. North Carolina is one of only six states in the nation that actually pays for that dual enrollment for that student in the high school. And that's a big differentiating factor because it gives an equal opportunity for all of the children here in North Carolina to have that opportunity. So there's some areas where you can grow and you can work on stuff. But I think looking that you've got a bunch of policies that we look at as being very promising and on the cusp it's hard to implement a policy and expect to see results in education within a year or two most of these policies take usually somewhere close to five six seven years before you see the outcomes and so you need to make sure that you're giving them enough time to do what they need to do
0: you kind of touched on this but one of the things that we're doing that seems less controversial is or things like early college high schools this attempt to kind of give uh high school students a jump start on higher education and and that seems like a direction we're moving in is that a direction other states are moving in is
1: that a common trend It is a common trend that we're seeing across the country, but some states are ahead of the game, and North Carolina is one of those. We look at what our model policies for dual enrollment, and for AP classes, and for early college high schools, and in all three of those categories, North Carolina is towards the top of the nation in having the model policies that we think are necessary for the states to succeed, and you've been there for a while. There's a lot of other states that are just getting into this opportunity. There's been pilot programs with some high schools or community colleges working together, but not statewide policies like North Carolina has, which is something you should be proud of.
0: And um, so talk a little bit kind of the national view. Where Ameri- There's a lot of talk about how America compares to other nations, how there's an uh, increasing gap and we need to catch up. Is it really that dire?
1: Where are we heading with education in the United States? I think there's a lot of difficulties ahead in the education realm, and there's some there's some reasons why it's going to be difficult to fix some of these. We are lagging behind many other countries in their educational attainment and educational outcomes, but I think even just here at home and looking at state to state, we have a large achievement gap that has not been resolved in over 30 years here in America. We have a large number of kind of the bottom quartile of our students who have been making progress but they're not making progress at the same rate that our highest quartile of students are. And we've got to find a way to guarantee that we're providing the services so that all children have an opportunity to succeed. When you look at the workforce needs for America, it will require some post-secondary degree or certification to have the quality of life that we all desire. And if we're going to be able to achieve that, we're going to have to have some changes in how we implement education policies and how we fund them. One of the biggest difficulties that I highlight across the country is the changing nature of the elected and appointed officials that we have. Um, We are in a period here through 2017 and 2018 with these 2018 elections that we are going to have a turnover of 30 of the nation's 50 governors. So 60% of our governors will have less than 24 months experience on the job. And when we look at superintendents of education or the chief state school officers for each state, Right now, they're averaging two years, six months on the job. It's really hard to implement major policy to really change outcomes for those lower quartile students we're talking about if you're only going to be able to be in that position for two and a half years. And so I think this is an evolution that we've seen over the last six years and one that if not, if we don't find a solution to how we work through these policies with the changing people who are in the positions, it will become even more difficult to achieve success. And and is there a way to address that? There are states that are having some really important and difficult discussions over education policy governance. I mean, should the superintendent of a state be elected or appointed or appointed by the board or by the governor? Um, and also some states that are looking at some governance models to say, how do we get a education cabinet together for the state so that early learning and K-12 and community colleges and higher ed and career and tech ed are, are all looking at the same goals and working together in unison. I think you've got some great leaders here in North Carolina, but the large number of commissions and councils that you have may be a sign that there may be some governance questions over, could this all be solved if we had an ed cabinet that was working in unison together?
0: Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for talking
1: with us. Absolutely. It's been an honor.
0: We've been talking with Jeremy Anderson. He is the president of the Education Commission of the States. And I'm Alex Granado, senior reporter for Education NC. And you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening.